Hello, and welcome to the Take It in Stride podcast. I am your host, Adrian Jezik. Here we get to talk about the things that make us vulnerable, the ways that we grow through discomfort, and the ways that we challenge ourselves in order to reach our next steps of growth and um, just explore our own discomfort through personal growth. So we get vulnerable. We are authentic. We share our failures. We share our successes. Today, I have a very special guest with me, uh, Claire Spencer. Claire, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Adrian. I'm really excited. I'm very happy to have you here today, and I'm very happy to know you. Claire and I have kind of an interesting origin story. So you know how people say that it's really hard to make friends when you get older? I don't know what that's like. I could talk to a park bench. Like, I do not have a problem initiating conversation. But what I've noticed is in my social media foray that certain platforms like Instagram can lead me to people of like-minded interests. And this is how I met Claire, was through Instagram because we have like-minded interests in ice baths. We also have some mutual friends on Instagram and in real life. And she is such a vibrant being. She is such an effervescent person that I was so drawn to her that I reached out to her online and I was like, you're in Phoenix. I'm in Phoenix. You like ice baths. I like ice baths. I want to go to lunch. Like, let's go to lunch. So we went to lunch. And that's how I met Claire. We had our first lunch together and we just immediately hit it off. And we've gotten very close since then. That was just a few short months ago. But I'm happy to have Claire on here today because Claire has had her own experience through discomfort to get to personal growth and her own experience with the ice. Claire, will you take a moment and tell me about your very first ice bath and what led you to that very first ice bath? I'm thinking because I'm trying to even remember my very first ice bath which I'm pretty sure was at Optimize. Um, But I will confess that I started out with those ice baths by getting into my knees, and then I just only got my butt in. And I think, actually, the very first time I got all the way in was after doing a Wim Hof breathwork with Jesse Mooring. I hope I'm saying his name correctly who runs Breathworks and is a co-owner at Optimize. And until that, I had been easing my way in. And um, during that class, we had a a cold tub that wasn't just cold. It was filled with ice. And I got to watch everybody else get in, including a really lovely gentleman who took the full two minutes to get past that, um, I don't know what the word is, but like that fear response and he finally made it. So I had the potential for pressure on both sides of saying, wow, that dude made it look really easy and I'm going to freak out. And also, holy swear word. You're allowed to swear okay. on here. Holy Jason shit. Jason broke that cherry. <laughs> I just say, holy shit, this looks horrible. And um, it was super fun. It was It was like not the most lovely thing that I've ever experienced because at that point my pain, my body was still reading all of those um, nerve signals as pain. So I definitely had to think about it, but it was also really nice. And I think that's an important thing to touch on those nerve signals as pain, because for your very, very, very first ice bath, and I can attest to this as well, you typically feel pain in the fingertips, pain in the feet. And the reason is because the feet and the hands are the furthest away from the heart. And as they're going, as, as you're going into the cold and the body is preparing, um, for the cold, all of the heat in your body rushes to protect your internal organs. So it's leaving your fingertips, it's leaving your toes, and it leaves this kind of cramping sort of rubber band snapping, tingling sort of discomfort feeling. And a lot of people, when they feel that for the first time, are like, oh no, this is painful. I'm done. You gotta be kidding me. But 
the truth is, is that's your vascular system getting a workout in ways that it's not been worked out and it really needs it. It's the same as when you go to the gym, when you haven't been to the gym in like six months and you do 50 squats and then you can't sit down for a week without pain. So the more we practice, the easier that process gets. And then the hands and the feet don't hurt quite as much. And when you and I first started going to Optimize together, and we love Optimize, we have a cold forge at Optimize. It is local to Phoenix, Arizona. They uh, owned by Jesse Meringue and Michael Roviello. They are two absolutely fantastic gentlemen that I've, I've mentioned here on the podcast before. And also two people I met through Instagram. So how do you like those apples? Um, apparently, I make a lot of friends through Instagram, but they become real true friends because we all have these common things in pot in in uh we have these things in common so you got in you did the full two minutes yep and i lied i did have one experience prior to that that i'm just remembering but share that with me okay yeah so actually the wim hof really got was the first time i went in ice where there's chunks of ice um and I'm going to screw up his name, but when Optimize first opened, they had a young man who was doing workouts in the morning, and it was a workout circuit with working out sauna, ice bath, working out sauna, ice bath. And that was the first time I got in up to my neck, was doing that. Wow. And I remember it being really painful, and I also remember being in there for two minutes and thinking, my fingers are not going to come back, they're going to fall off. Um, but I think what interests me more is this idea of what you're talking about is pain because it was such a new sensation. It was almost like my body didn't know how to interpret it. And what you just talked about, like going to the gym, there's a point when you've been working out enough where your body is excited and it feels good to work out. So getting into the cold at first was very much a parallel experience where my body's interpretation was, this is dangerous, we're going to die, pain, 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 pain. Same like um, if you just decided to like climb a seven-mile mountain with no preparation, pain, pain, pain. After a while, your body's like, we're badasses, this makes us feel so good, and instead of a pain experience, it's almost like a drug high, getting into the cold, is a way to feel calmer, just like if you're a runner and you've been running a long time, maybe the first two minutes aren't great, but you know that that feeling is coming, so you're excited to push through it. Um, And one of the biggest things I worked on in the forge and getting into the ice was continually just saying in my body, like, this is one of my favorite mantras, but like, this is a sensation, and also I'm so grateful that I have a body to feel these feelings. Right, right, because we can do a workout and get sore muscles and go, oh, I don't like those sore muscles, I'm never going to do that again. Or we can do a workout and we experience sore muscles and we go, you know what, I'm going to keep going. I'm going to keep going until these muscles aren't sore anymore. I'm going to go until these muscles are giving me what I want. And it's interesting that you talk about the high. So it's been mentioned that two minutes in an ice bath gives you the equivalent chemically in the brain of a runner's high. And the reason is because it releases a boost of norepinephrine and dopamine at about 30 seconds in. The effects from that norepinephrine and dopamine last for hours. And this is why runners run because, and and they get that runner's high because they get that good, good, feel good feeling And then they're like, that's why I run. That's why I do this. I get reinforcement that says this feels good. My body knows this is good. I am enacting things in my body that are good. Well, y'all, I don't run. (laughs) I mean, you know, there are those jokes out there where people are like, I don't run unless like a serial killer is chasing me. Like, well, you know what? What kind of serial killer? I might stop and have to ask some questions because I don't run. It is not my jam. But I love that high. I love that high of sitting in a two-minute ice bath, which for me is now closer to three or four minutes, but sitting in that two-minute ice bath, getting that boost of norepinephrine and dopamine, and knowing that my body created that for me. So so you've had you've had experience with cold water immersion and and you're a member at Optimize, so you can go as often as you want. Claire, what is your ideal 
week of ice baths? Is that every day? Is that a couple times a week? What's your what's your goal for frequency? I will tell you that I have been flaking on my ice baths recently and I struggle with it when it's cold and dark. I have this reaction. Now it's in Phoenix. And so it's not cold out. It's not winter. But I see when it gets dark out at 5 p.m. And I want to eat fatty food and hide in my bathtub with like in like hot water. Um, so I think it depends on the season. I really, because of travel, I flaked on ice baths for quite some time. And I went back in with you when you coached me the other week. And I was like, oh, yeah, this feels really good. But what I think it comes down to for me is honestly motivation um, about my body. And I don't run either. And I started doing ice baths and I started doing Optimize because I was having a lot of like fascia pain. Mm-hmm. Um, it really hurt. You know, doing yoga meant that I would be like hobbling around for three days. I'm not quite sure. I think it was a combination of stress and not having worked out and not drinking enough water because we live in the desert. This is all a long way to answer that question, but it's coming to it. And um, what I really loved about the ice baths is in the middle of the summer when I was going in the ice every day, mm-hmm. not only did I get that high every day, but I looked really good. I lost like five pounds and I didn't have to go to the gym for an hour. I it was Sometimes I would stop in in my lunch break, be in and out in eight minutes like change into my suit, go in the thing for two minutes, drop out, take a shower, put my work clothes back on and head back to the office. So I got that high without the coffee. And I also got the benefits of doing a hard workout in like two minutes. Mm -hmm. Um, So for me, the cold bath frequency, ideal rate, I find that it's just like the gym. If I do it every day, it's better for me because Mm -hmm. it's just keeping that consistency. But I'm more motivated to do it every day if I feel like I want to look skinny and if I'm not happy. Then I'm like, oh, okay. You have a reason. Yeah, I got like, oh, Claire, do you want to go run for an hour? You want to jump in the ice twice over the course of 20 minutes, do a little sauna, and then you'll feel better about your body. Not just because you're converting into brown fat and you're, you have that, um, the, whatever the energy it requires to like warm your body up, but also because it makes your body feel good. Your brain chemicals feel better. Um, I think what I am realizing now is I experienced kind of like a steady high and much like people who are depressed say, I don't need antidepressants. And then they stop taking it and they get depressed again. Shocker. I think that for a while there, I was so high and feeling so good all the time from doing the ice that I was like, well, I'm going on vacation. I just still take a little break. And now I'm noticing that there is a difference because when I plunge every day or at least three or four times a week, I feel differently. So it's almost like it's almost like that same effect of I don't feel well, so I'm going to start taking really good care of myself. And now because I've been taking really good care of myself, I feel a lot better. And I don't now need- because I feel a lot better, I don't need to focus so hard on taking care of myself. And then I'm going to not feel so good again. And so it is cyclical. And I think that's something important to recognize, right? Like when it comes to how frequently, and this is one of the biggest questions people ask is like, well, how often do you do it? But they don't usually say, how often do you do it? They say, how often do you have to do it? How often do I have to? to do this, which is basically saying, what's the bare minimum I can do and still get results? Well, the bare minimum you can do is one ice bath for two minutes and then never again. That's the bare minimum that you can do. (laughs) And you can do it and be a completely changed person. I know people who have done one ice bath in their entire lifetime. And because of that one ice bath, they are changed and they think, well, that's all I needed. And that was good enough for me. But but why are you doing it, right? So your first question is, how often do I have to in order to get the benefits? My question to you is, why are you doing it? Are you doing it just to prove that you can the same way that I climbed a mountain one time just so that I could prove I could? And it wasn't a big mountain, y'all. It was Squaw Peak here in Phoenix. That is not a big mountain, but it was big enough for me to prove to myself that I could climb a mountain. 
Well, I don't need to climb a mountain several times to prove to myself that I can climb a mountain. I don't need to take multiple ice baths to prove to myself that I can take an ice bath. I need to take multiple ice baths because it's for my health. Because once you have been as sick as I have been, once you have been diagnosed with chronic illness, once you have been depressed, anxious, in pain, constantly suffering, you will do this as often as it takes. You will develop the practice because the thought of slowing down and going back to that is not an option. So related to this is what I have discovered is I have a lot of creativity and limited willpower. And willpower is basically the idea of how much energy do I have to quote unquote, like make myself do things that are scary or unpleasant. And I have found that with consistent ice bathing, especially every single day, if I am on it, it becomes a habit that requires no willpower. The longer I take in between baths, the more willpower I get used up. And I don't always want to allocate my willpower to that two minutes that day. So, um, Recently, having read that book, The War of Art, which is great, all about resistance, my own personal practice benefits a lot if I can start going in the ice bath every single day for 10 days, and then I'm good, and I'll do it, and um, it doesn't require all, a, a ton of energy because it's become a habit, and I know it's happening Whereas if I take a break or do it every two or three days or once a week, then it becomes a whole thing in my brain and I have to talk my brain down and I have to talk my body into going over there and I have to talk myself into getting out of the sauna. And um, it's amazing how much energy my brain will use making up excuses and reasons why we shouldn't get into the cold when it could just be using those resources to get into the cold. Unfortunately, it's not how it works. It's just... um, So it's like the frequency and the habitual and the less I think about it, the more likely I am to do it. And that requires frequency. So for me, having this forge half a mile from my house, it's like a three minute drive is actually pretty essential to me doing it. If it was going to take me 45 minutes round trip, including getting dressed and undressed, I wouldn't do that. But no, it's two minutes from my house. There's literally no excuse for me not to go. And that's an amazing, and for me, anyways, really important aspect of why I do do the cold and why I was, I think I had a, with one exception of a trip to Mexico, I went in the cold every single day for almost three and a half months. And I think there's a lot to say to that. There's a testament to that. So I was just in a workshop, um, the Colby A., and Colby B plus index. Colby A is a conative testing guide to help you figure out your conative strengths and where where you fall on like they it's basically fact finder, follow through, quick start, and implementer. Those are the four categories you're measured on. And based on what you're telling me here, it almost sounds like you have not a lot of quick start um, because that would mean just getting up and going and doing. You know, you're going to stop. You're going to think about it. And there was even one time in Sedona where you told me, you know, I had kind of a rough night. I've not been getting a lot of sleep. We were at a workshop. So you were doing a lot of emotional growth. You were doing a lot of exposure of the self and of other people. And it was very overwhelming because I know you. I also know that you lean more towards the introverted um, energy fields and you had spent quite a few days in a house full of people and you looked at me and you said, Adrian, I don't have it in me today. And I think that would draw more of my energy out than it would put it back in. So I'm not going to do it. And I challenged you because I said, I think the opposite would happen. What if you just did a minute instead of two? And you're like, yeah, I could. Okay, I can do a minute. And this is how a lot of Claire and I's conversations around the ice go. She's like, and I'm like, well, what if, what if we just did a minute? And then next thing you know, Claire's doing two minutes like a rock star. So you got right in. You did close to three minutes because once you got to two and a half, you really hit your stride. You were really feeling those effects of the norepinephrine and dopamine. You were having immediate 
wonderful, replenishing and refilling results. So you stayed in a little longer. So it was a little over two and a half minutes. And then you got out and you're like, I can't believe I considered not doing that. Yeah. You know what? I remember dancing around in the lawn in Sedona and being like, this is amazing. And that's part of it, right? So, and we've, and I've mentioned this before, the reason that you're telling yourself not to get into the ice is the exact reason to tell yourself to get into the ice. I hate the cold. You guys did a whole episode on it. I used to hate the cold too. And it's not cold here in Phoenix. It is raining, which is interesting. They say it's going to bring in a cold front. I'm wearing a sweater in my slitties because, you know, it's gray outside. And so I want to feel like I'm cozy, even though I'm a little bit overheated. Um, and it can be difficult, especially, especially for those of us who need our sunshine and we need our warmth and we crave sunshine and warmth. And it is getting dark at 5, 530. Dark and cold does not make me want to get into an ice bath. But what makes me want to get into an ice bath when it is dark and cold is that when I get out of that ice bath, once being in the dark and the cold, my body will be on fire. So normally what I used to do prior to discovering cold water immersion is I'd take a real hot shower or I'd take a really hot bath and I would just relish in it, right? Like you feel so good when you're in there. But then as soon as the water starts to cool off, or as soon as you get out and you towel off with your towel, you're right back to cold again. And so you're putting on your layers, you got your socks, you got your sweats, you got your slibbies, you got your blankie, and you're all bundled up. And you don't want to move, because if you move, then you're going to let some of that heat escape. But that's the opposite of what you're going for. You want to take that hot shower or that cold sh- or that hot bath because you want to warm up. But that's not what it does to the body. When we rely on external factors to heat and to cool the body, we're not getting the same effect. So if I wait until it's dark and cold and then I take an ice bath, when I get out of the ice bath, I can walk around in a tank top and flip-flops or barefoot, which is my favorite. I hate sleeves. I hate being bundled up. I'm always going for as few clothes as possible. So no matter how cold it is, and I've only done this to about as low as 40 degrees, but I can tell you that even at 40 degrees temperature, I can stand in a tank top and bare feet and feel fully warm. I'm not shivering. I'm not uncomfortable and I'm not cold. And it isn't because I took a hot shower or hot bath. It's because I took an ice bath. Because my body had to work to warm itself up. And this brings me to a nice little segue because you talked about how you do the sauna and the cold, the sauna and the cold. It is so important, you guys, when practicing hot and cold, that you allow your body to do the temperature regulation. So if you take an ice bath, do not jump right into the hot tub. Do not jump right into the sauna. Take two minutes and move your body. Feel your body. Let the heat and the body produce the heat naturally. Do not rely on another external factor to bring that back for you or you're completely negating the work that you're trying to do. So Yeah, when I do hot and cold, I do three minutes in an ice bath. I do 25 in the sauna. I do three minutes in the ice bath. But in between that ice bath and sauna, and in between that sauna and ice bath, I'm taking a moment. After I get out of the ice bath, I allow my body to warm itself up. After I get out of the sauna, got to take a quick rinse anyway before I get into the cold water because, you know, ew. And so I use the cold water shower to kind of rinse that heat off, and then I'm ready to get into the cold. Not so much a shock to the system. You can create cold shock by not allowing your body to do that for you. So it's always good to balance out your practice, but make sure you're having your body do the work. Your body should be doing the work. The more your body does the work, the less you're going to feel cold and uncomfortable at five o'clock in Arizona when it gets dark outside. Well, I just learned something today. I will say that I enjoy the feeling of going from the ice straight into the sauna. Did you do that today? No, um, I have done during particularly stressful weeks during the summer on like a Friday late afternoon evening, 
I wouldn't call it an out-of-body experience, but going back and forth to shockingly cold to the hot sauna can really give me some distance from my own body, which Mm -hmm. sounds, I don't know how else to put it, but it's almost like a meditative state where I can observe my own body. Um, And that is the opposite. I feel like what you're talking about is really being embodied, where you're fully in your body and you're responsible for it. I absolutely learned something today about that, but I will also confess that, at least for me, having that opportunity to have my body feel so different than it normally does by going back and forth to the cold in rapid succession is a chance in some ways for me to get to that super meditative state or to back into it and just say, wow, like I'll jump in the sauna right after the ice bath. And I'm like, wow, my finger, look at those fingers. They're my fingers. They feel so weird. My arms feel floaty. And like, it's just a really, um, like when you do these sensory immersion, I don't know if you call them classes, experiences, it's in some ways it's that same thing where there's so much information coming into my body that I don't have time. It's like a brain sweeper. I can't really think about my problems because I'm going, wait, is my body, are all of my body parts attached? Is everything working? I've never felt this in my skin. I've never felt this in my thighs. I've never felt this in my feet. Holy crap, this is really cool. So I get super present and I stop thinking about other things because that shock in some ways brings me very deeply into my body by pushing me out of it, if that makes sense at all. That makes perfect sense. Um, I believe what you're doing is you're bringing a mindfulness to the moment. And when you're going hot, cold, hot, cold, you can't focus on anything other than my body is in the heat. My body is in the cold. This is what it feels like. So when you say that it removes from the brain and you're looking at your fingers and you're looking at your toes and you're like, this feels. You're allowed to escape your mind because you're doing a meditative focus to get through that temperature of cold, to get through that temperature of heat. And you're going back and forth from one extreme to the other. So you're keeping yourself in that clarified, meditative, mindful state. So you're bringing yourself a level of presence. Well, you have a bit of a practice. I don't recommend for people that have not done this before to go cold and then use hot tub or sauna to warm themselves up. Once you've done it back and forth a few times, once you've got a cold water immersion practice and you have a heat practice, that is not as big of a jump, right? So this is something to keep in mind too, because we have um, a retired Navy SEAL, Justin Hoagland, and he's got an incredible practice with his cold forge. He will sit in it for two minutes and then he will turn his body over. We have these on our YouTube channel, Marotsko Forge on YouTube. Um, He will turn his body over and he will face down plunge into his ice bath for two more minutes. Now, there are a lot of reasons that the science does not recommend a face down plunge into the cold. You can literally shock the body, shock the heart and cause extreme damage or death. This is what I've been told. I don't know of a single death that has happened from cold water immersion practice. If you guys know of one please do you Claire know of a death to cold water immersion practice oh my god but if you guys know of one will you email that link will you email that to me at I take it in stride at gmail.com because we see the chatter we see it out there seven deaths blah 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 blah. but if you go to wikipedia ice bath page it's a really poor representation of what cold water immersion is and they do even go in on the wikipedia page to talk about death But the truth of the matter is, if you follow all of those links, you read all of those studies, they do not actually have any evidence at all of one single death from cold water immersion. And I think that that's the key thing, too, is an immersion practice with somebody who's consciously doing it is completely different than an unprepared person in an icy body body of water. So you can totally die from cold water. Yeah. But... But it's did not you what we're talking fall about. into it while inside of your car and not be able to get out of it? That's a different situation. Was it a surprise? Was it a surprise? Did you not prepare? Were you not doing breathing? Did you not have a buddy? So this is another thing that I think is really important, right? So 
They say one way to hold yourself accountable when working out is to make sure that you invite a friend, right? Well, if you're doing cold water immersion and you're starting that practice, invite a friend. Guys, don't do this alone. You can even go, again, you can go to our YouTube. We have coaching videos. We have strategy sessions. You can see how a lot of people do their cold water immersion practice. But don't do this alone. And I would just add that by myself, the amount of um, like willpower and energy it takes to get in and quietly do it is a hundred times more than it requires if I have one person as a witness or in a group of people. I can totally jump off, jump in like a show off in front of 20 people and have one person coach me. And, and that's what happened in Sedona. I was like, okay, I don't feel great, but I can be a beast. I have Adrian looking me eye coaching and I have 20 other people who are looking at this cold force saying, what's that like? I can go in there and set an example of it being a wonderful practice and how to stay calm and that it's not like I can change the energy around this experience, not just for myself, but for other people. That's motivating for me. And that's why it was super easy for me to go in for three minutes, even though I felt pretty tapped. Whereas I wouldn't have gone in if it was just me by myself in my backyard. No way. So I think that's something I say too, right? So we have a lot of customers that purchase a cold forge for personal use, but if it's sitting in your backyard, are you going to get yourself in it every day? Some people do. Jason and I do. As long as we have an ice bath in the backyard, even though it's raining here in Phoenix today, I got to say, I'm a little disappointed that my ice bath is at the new studio. It's not in my backyard because I can't sit in the rain in my cold forge, which is like just kind of something I think would be fun to try. And I think it would lend something else to the experience to like feel the rain coming down and also be sitting in an ice bath and like the sounds and you know, the feel and the sensations and you're already wet. Well, and then this is what I tell everybody why I love forges so much is um, they do feel like you're swimming in a lake. I, I, it, it reminds me of like night swimming and skinny dipping because it's so quiet and serene and like the metal and the water create a smell. So you already have this outdoor experience. I can't, is it oxygenated? There's some word, ozonated so water. But you'll be there yeah. in the rain, would just add to that. It's like, close your eyes and you're swimming in a lake when you're camping and it's beautiful. And you know how when it's raining, even if the rain is warm, the water feels warmer. And so that's the part of me that's like, could I go to the studio space today and roll the roll the forge outside just so I can see what feels colder, the rain or the forge? But there is that stillness. And I think there's a real beauty to that stillness because when we're thinking of the cold and we're thinking of entering it in calm, going through it with calm, um, there's a beauty to that stillness. And the smell that you're talking about is the ozone generation. So we don't use harsh chemicals in our forges. We don't use chlorine. We don't use any algicide. When it comes to any type of harsh chemical that you would use to clean your pool or your hot tub, or there are other um, ice, I can't even call them ice bath models because I don't know of another cold water immersion tank that creates ice, but there are other cold water immersion tanks in wellness centers, even here in the Valley. They don't usually get below 45 degrees. They don't make their own ice. So they, ha they have chemicals that you have to use to keep them clean. And some of these chemicals have really harsh smells. Some of these chemicals are very damaging to the skin. And they also, it, it doesn't make me feel good when I can smell the chlorine, like even in my own pool in my backyard, if I smell the chlorine, I already feel dry and itchy and uncomfortable. So when we designed the cold forge, we designed it with ozone generation to help kill any of the particulates, any bacteria, any, um, just anything at all that you could possibly imagine going through your commercial or your home model. Ozone is air. And it charges, it charges the water, it charges the water with an air that's similar to the effects of peroxide. 
So when you get into one of our filtered forges, partly what you're smelling is the zinc coming out of the stainless steel in the tub, or excuse me, in, in the galvanized steel tub, mixing with the water. And part of what you smell is that ozone generation, which I'll be honest with, I'm not a fan of that ozone smell. So when I take my lid off, I leave it off for just a couple of minutes, let that smell dissipate a little bit. It smells clean. Smells like what I want to clean my laundry with. I really want Tom and Jason to figure out a way to use <laughs> ozone for laundry so I can get away with this from this laundry soap. But it helps us avoid using any type of harsh chemicals. It's ozone filtration. We use um, pool filters. So it's a filter that's really made for like a twenty to 40,000 gallon pool and you're using on a 200 gallon tank. So we are over filtered. We are over sanitized. It is for your protection, but it's also to keep you from having to use harsh chemicals. Somebody even asked us, is it okay if I put Epsom salts in my cold forge? Yeah, you guys, that's our jam. Lavender Epsom salts, a little bit of magnesium, the smell of the lavender, plus what it does for your skin. Ah, get yourself a nice bath so that you can put your own lavender Epsom salts in there. I highly recommend it. Could you imagine what that would feel like with some eucalyptus too? Like eucalyptus smelling Epsom salts? I'm thinking salts? about your forge when it's 115 degrees out in Phoenix in the middle of summer and dropping into not just the ice, but that like all over lavender eucalyptus sensation on my body. Mm -hmm. So one of my favorite essential oil blends, and it's funny because people, sometimes people get out of the forge and they're like, <clears throat> oh, it almost feels like when you put peppermint on your neck where it's cold, but it's also hot. And one of my favorite essential oil blends, I usually offer um, three different types in a sensory immersion experience, but one of them is cedar sandalwood. And cedar sandalwood, actually, when used with a carrier oil, you guys don't just put that right on your skin, um, when used with a carrier oil and then rubbed on the body, will bring a lot of heat to the surface of your body. And peppermint will cool your body, but it'll do it by bringing heat to the surface. So it's, it's interesting, interesting to see how essential oils can have those types of effects, but you can use essential oils in conjunction with your cold water practice. So if you're someone who loves lavender chamomile, if you're someone who wants to feel citrus uplifting, you know, effervescent scents, like you've got other options out there to enhance your own personal practice. I'm having flashbacks to um, Cafe Gratitude in LA has an essential oil they put like two drops of a very specific blend of essential oils into lightly effervescent water. And when I was pregnant, I would go there all the time to drink it because it felt cooling from the inside. Oh, wow. Yeah. Because as you're pregnant, you tend to get like heartburn. Well, and then you, you just have, you get it, but you also have so much extra blood in your body. You get like one or two extra pints of blood to support the fetus. Because you're so incubating. You're, yeah, you're incubating. So you're just hot. <gasps> the last month of me being pregnant, I could not sleep in the same bed as my husband at the time um, because I had to sleep sitting almost completely upright mm -hmm. and the only way I could actually fall asleep because my feet and my hands were so hot because my whole body was so full of blood that they had like extra blood in them which sounds gross but it's just what it was I would fall asleep by taking the maximum strength icy hot roll-on and slathering it on my feet and then pointing a fan at my feet and if I was lucky within 15 minutes of do that I could like pass out for an hour or two but if I didn't like hit that mark of like that coldness on my feet, I would never get there. You know, I hear too, taking an ice bath about 90 minutes before you go to sleep has a similar effect because in 90 minutes you've done enough to where you can warm your body back up, right? You've also got that boost of norepinephrine and dopamine and your body has a way of regulating its temperature to where even if it's a little warm or a little cold, your body will find an easy, smooth adjustment to get you to sleep. So I think it's too late to call CPS, but let's just make this a gentler version is my dad's go-to trick for comforting and soothing a fussy baby back in the 80s when we didn't have air conditioning in our house. I was actually born in Guatemala, so there definitely was not air conditioning there, was um, 
there's a point where we would get so tired, me and my brother and my sisters, we'd be tired, but we're so hot and uncomfortable that we couldn't actually fall asleep. So he would take a damp, like a wrung out, cold, wet towel, wrap it around us for a minute, because not only would the shock, you know, reasonable shock for a little kid, but like that shock would reset our emotional regulation, but it would give us that chance to cool down and also get into a like a, the ability to sleep because we'd be cool enough to long to sleep, but we'd also be calmer having like survived the cold shock, towel shock. That is really interesting because at, at that age and with that level of a shock, it was probably enough to at least give you a little boost of norepinephrine and dopamine which is going to help calm you down. And we do sleep better when we are, when the temperature is just a little bit cooler outside. And I think that, I think that parents, um, and I don't know, like are your parents Eastern European? So just crazy. Okay. So, so <laughs> lovely. But- my parents, my parents are um, Czech. And what's interesting is their go-to calming the kids right like like we would wrestle we would fight we would we would really go 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 at it spray us with a hose or drop us in a cold shower or cold bath like when you can't pull apart two dogs or children who are fighting you spray them with a hose you throw a bucket of water on them or you drop them in a cold bath because first of all the shock like the body's going what water i gotta breathe i gotta prepare i gotta you know i gotta prepare for the dive response and the cool, so that calms down your emotional, that brings everything else down, and then the shock. So the dog or the kids or the cats or whatever it is you just exposed to the cold from that, from that, you know, aggro state is going like, whoa, wait, whoa, whoa what, what? Oh, all right. Okay. Ah, cold, blah, you know, and then the kids get excited and things are happy and everything calms down and then you're like, all right, it worked. So... We can say it's a CPS situation, but rush in, in there are still, and I, and I can't say who, I, got, I don't know how, um, I don't know exactly where this is, but I know in Europe there are still schools that will allow children of grade school age to play outside in their underwear during recess in the snow for about 20 minutes because it reduces the flu rate. Mm, there's also, I believe either Icelandic or Scandinavian tradition of setting your child outside bundled up in their crib in the snow in the winter to sleep. So I think there's a little bit of myth in there. And I also think there's a recent post going around, not just on Reddit, but on Instagram. And it's this picture of all these little babies in their little carriages and they're outside and they're in the snow. And that apparently is a little bit of Russian propaganda during the time of Stalinism. If you guys ever want to read a good book, it's the uh, Russian Art of Soviet Cooking. I, the, the author escapes me now. I'll get it up later. But the Russian Art of Soviet Cooking, they really go into what was really going on at the time and the type of propaganda that was being put forth at the time. So... That picture, if that's what you're referring to, that picture of those babies, that is not an accurate representation, and a lot of those babies died. So, sad note, but you guys, this is just a really good example of when you see things online, be it Reddit, be it Instagram, even if it's posted by someone you know, before you like it, before you share it, before you retweet it, before you go spouting that knowledge, make sure you're doing a little bit of legwork um, and and checking out your sources because that that particular one um, is making the rounds right now and it's not accurate. So yeah. I think it's important to um, just just take note of that and then also to take a moment for those families that were misrepresented. And then... Yeah, for sure. This was... I just Googled it because we have that. This was a BBC article from 2013, which was right around when I was pregnant with my daughter, talking about Sweden and the habits of the Swedes to put their babies outside for naps, for their health. Yes, for naps, for the health. That makes sense. 20, 30 minutes in the afternoon, sunshine still shining, parents totally present. That's a completely different situation. And it might have been... It, I don't, I don't know. Like I said, it was Eastern European. I don't know who it was, but I do know that there are elementary school children and they use this practice to this day. So I'll have to find that research. Um, 
I just, you know, I don't always remember details. Hmm. I don't always, like, you know, I can read a book, like, five times, and then I'll still struggle with, you know, who the author was, even though you literally look at the name every time you pick up the book. I think that for creative people, that one of the greatest gifts of the internet is that we don't have to. You don't have to. Yeah. You don't have to. Um, Go Google Swedish baby sleep outside and you will find this article. (laughs) I love that. Yes, go Google Swedish baby sleep outside and Google the Russian art of Soviet cooking. You guys, that book was a really, really good book and it comes with a lot of recipes, but more than anything, it comes with a story of the culture and the times. And I think it's important for us to expand our knowledge in ways that we're learning about what we've unearthed, about what we've previously been told, right? So, and and we all know this, the media can paint whatever picture they want, but we have the resources to get to the bottom of most scenarios. Or if we don't know, or we don't get to, want to get to the bottom of it, at the very least, don't spread it, you know? Like, it's half the reason that I can't stand Facebook, and um, I'll use it only only to help with the business because it is such a such a tool for that but i challenge you this is this week's challenge i've just come up with this right now and i challenge you for one day just one day because if you did it for a week you'd want to rip your hair out one day pick five different posts that people have posted on your facebook or on their facebook and you're reading it in your feed and check the sources check to see is that baby still missing is that dog really dead does this person really need whatever like check your sources i challenge you and i'll do it too this week five in one day and if all five of them check out and they're all true stories and they all still really exist cool jam way to go i'd be curious to find out if they do because the vast majority of stuff I look into that's been put out like that, not accurate, not followed through on. People are just click, share, click, share, click, share, because it's easier to share content than it is to create content. And that's just a little extra level. That's in a little extra level of willpower that we have. It's a little extra thing that we can do to help curate the content that we want in our lives. Right? So we are the stories we tell ourselves. We are, we can do the things that we decide to do. We can align with the energy that we're looking for and that we want in our lives. And this is part of what that looks like, curating our own content. You know, you're reminding me, because right before this meeting, we talked a little bit about storytelling and branding. Um, There's a great podcast with Aubrey Marcus and a branding guy. I cannot remember what it is, but we could put it in the show notes. But he talked about the shareable emotions um, what kind of content inspires people to share and it's humor, inspiration, and a couple other ones. And as part of that podcast, they also talked about what would be considered without putting too much, um, what is it? Without being too narrow, but we consider dark arts, but there are the dark arts of emotional manipulation and shareability, fear, outrage, righteousness, those are that's shareable content but it comes back and it spreads all of those things it um creates a lack of community creates division it creates fear so i think that as we're talking about facebook and instagram and what we share something that i've noticed is that the consequences of sharing something happy are innocuous it it's less important that this is or isn't true if it's just a fluffy feel good. But when you're starting to share things that are creating a feeling of fear in your body that you're sharing so that you don't feel like you're scared alone, that is the most, that's the time when it's most important to really take a look at the sources because those sources spread like wildfire and they are divisive and they will set you right into a path of othering people, setting yourself apart creating more fear. So if there is a, I like to set myself up for triggers and it's like, okay, if this, then that. So something that I am not always perfect at, but that I'm pretty good at is saying, oh, I read that and I feel scared. That's one of those dark arts. 
I better check out, check this out for accuracy. Oh, I feel really self-righteous and I want to share this and revel in my self-righteousness. Pretty good chance that someone's going to trick with me. Like that's an easily fooled emotion. So those posts in particular are designed are, to elicit that. Are designed to elicit it, but they're d- designed to elicit sharing without actually looking at the sources. So if I have that feeling, righteousness, anger, fear, thats those are triggers to triple check the sources because those are the type of posts that we share without thinking because we are emotionally blind to it. We are out there to reinforce our feeling as opposed to being conscious and thoughtful. So that would just be my little hot tip. If you feel one of those feelings, those are the posts that are most likely to be lies and also to have consequences that are impactful in a negative way. Yeah, because... And, and this touches right on, if you've ever read the book, The Righteous Mind by Jonathan Haidt. We, who I love, by the way, I, I just love him so much. I didn't know you knew about him. Oh. I love him. Let's just take a moment, you guys, to appreciate Jonathan Haidt and his wizardry with truly figuring out what it is, what is moting, motivating us, where is this coming from? So he wrote this book called The Righteous Mind, and there are... This book changed my life. Before I read this book, I was ready to fight. I'd fight for me. I'd fight for you. Well, this is the right thing to do. So let's put our fisticuffs on and let's go to work and get shit done. And that's what people with righteous indignation do. You feel, I'm going to make this right. I'm going to fight on your behalf, I'm going to fight on my behalf, and I'm going to fight, fight, fight until I win. If any of that resonates with you, even remotely, I encourage you to read the book The Righteous Mind by Jonathan Haidt, H-A-I-D-T. He really breaks it down on what that comes from. Because in order to be righteous, you have to judge. In order to be righteous, you're going to fight. In order to carry around the energy of a righteous mind, you're going to cause upset in conversation. And there are ways that we can fight for each other, for ourselves, and connect to each other on these issues that we want to make change on that don't require alienating anyone, that don't require uh, battlegrounds, that don't require me being better than you so that you can learn what's right and what's wrong because i tell you what life is a heck of a lot more gray than that well and then this goes into something that i say all the time that i think in my opinion is the way to act to here i sound righteous actually but if you really want to make progress i have found that inviting somebody to be a little bit better and having faith that they are doing their best is a far better solution than to other them and to make them feel inferior. If I say to you, Adrian, you're a terrible person, and let me just tell you why, you have to be different, you're going to be kicking and screaming instead of as they say, Adrian, you are so lovely, and I see what you are trying to do, and I want to do that too, and this is how we can move forward together, and I invite you because of this shared mission to try something a little bit different because I know how important this is to you. And I imagine that if it's that important, you are willing to do anything to make that happen. And this goes back to um, judgment and leading with compassion. If you always start with compassion, you're not going to repost some post that's like, Everybody fight for this. Everybody get on board with this. Everybody, we're all fighting for this now. No, 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 no. I see you. I recognize you. You clearly have some pain because you want to fight, because you have something to stand for. But the only thing we need to fight for, the only thing we need to stand for are ourselves. Fight for your self-care. I don't know what that looks like. What if all of your energy, instead of being poured into these campaigns online and these sharing of ideas online, what if your energy, all of that energy, went into your self-care? 
What can I do for me right now? What can I do to work on me today? Because that energy will emanate from you. The same as a righteous mind energy will emanate from you. That self-care energy will emanate from you. And if you always start with compassion, I don't need to go to you and say, you have to fight my fight, you have to know my fight, and you have to see my side because of all these things. No, 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 no. If I don't understand you, if I don't agree with you, and I don't know where you're coming from, and it looks different than what I'm already doing, I don't have to put my viewpoints on you. I don't need to bring you to my side. I need to extend an olive branch. I need to start with compassion. I need to start asking you questions so that I can understand you. You know, so for the record, I have a water company and we use plastic water bottles. What's that water company called? Water, Mm W-A-T-R-R-R. And part of the reason we went with disposable, hopefully recyclable, plastic water bottles is because there's an accessibility issue with people having clean water um, and having a practice that is inexpensive and usable by all. And that's as far as I'm going to go with it. But what I've noticed is there are incredibly lovely people, and this goes back to what you're talking about, who do care about the environment. And I also, believe it or not, care very much about the environment. Um, But I see this righteous outrage against all forms of plastic and that energy the re- is, I would just love to be able to tap it into positivity and compassion. So instead of saying you're a bad person for using plastic, why do people use plastic? Because municipal water is toxic or it has toxicity in it or it just tastes bad. It's not accessible to people with less money or who don't have homes. Um Imagine if we took all of that outrage, instead of saying you're a bad person because you use plastic, saying, why are people using plastic? Where is this coming from? Where is this coming from? What is the purpose of this? How many fewer people would use plastic water bottles if we took that energy and put it into strengthening our municipal water systems and giving, making that water accessible so that tap water tasted good and didn't make you feel gross or didn't taste bad? I think that's it. I think I think that's part of the start with compassion and remain in curiosity. Because instead of going to you, and again, if I've got a rise just mine, I'm judging you. Oh, that Claire, she's got that water company and she uses plastic bottles. That's judgment. That's righteous mind. Whereas if I go to you and I say, Claire, what was your decision behind choosing plastic versus aluminum or plastic versus I don't know. We're working on the bubbles, right? We're working on those little bubbles that you just put in your mouth and they dissolve. The seaweed bubbles. Is that what that is? Is it seaweed? I'm like, I guarantee whatever it is they're wrapping it in, I'm probably going to be allergic. But I'm not allergic to seaweed. I can swallow (laughs) some seaweed. I think there's seaweed bubbles. Like, my cat's name is Nori. Does that count? (laughs) Um, Yeah. Meet with compassion. Meet with curiosity. The next time that you feel like you need to, you know, pull up your pants and fight the great fight, stop. Find love, find compassion, find curiosity. Because if you remain in a state of curiosity, you're removing the opportunity to be offended. You're also removing the opportunity for the other person to get defensive. Because if I'm just asking you questions, if I have an inquisitive and curious mind and I want to know you, I want to know your motivations. I want to know what drives you. Then that's room from compassion. I also think that there's an opportunity there to, and when we talk, when I talk about othering, when you're moving from compassion, it's, it requires a certain amount of faith that that person has made a conscious choice and that they are doing the best they can. And who are we to say that in those same circumstances, we wouldn't make that same choice? Yeah. If I do not have a place to live and I do not have running water, I don't really have use for a reusable $25 water bottle. I need clean water that's sealable in pockets. So if I want to change the behavior of that person, what do I need to provide them that solves that problem? Because shaming them doesn't fix the problem. Not to mention, if you are experiencing houselessness, you don't have somewhere to wash it, to refill it, and to keep it clean and safe. So we have to consider the audience, too. 
that's just a good example, but it shows like it's a much more complex issue. And while I love environmental activists, I do see this huge gap where we want to fix the problem by changing the behavior. And the behavior is there for a reason because of whatever the circumstances are of that person. Even if it's a quote unquote wealthy woke person walking through the airport and they have to choose between a water fountain of unknown origin or a bottle of water from the airport store. You know, I'm really glad that you brought up this this bottle of water analogy and the plastic because that's a big fight, right? Especially with the conversations going on with climate change, the conversations going on with the environment. Everyone's pointing fingers. I want to say everyone. People are pointing fingers going, you need to make this change. I see what you're doing and I don't like it. Again, that's judgment. Again, that's righteous mind. But if we have compassion and curiosity and we look inward, I can walk in every room in my house and I can say, am I using disposable razors? Am I using disposable garbage bags? Am I using what disposable, like this is a better question. Adrian, what disposable products are you currently using? Are you able to replace, and this is a question I ask myself, are you able to replace any of these disposable products with products that can be reused? So a long time ago, I switched out all my hand soap dispensers with the glass metal hand soap dispensers, and I just buy the refills now. That's brilliant. That's one step. That's one teeny tiny step that I can do. And it's self-oriented, which is huge. It's huge. So instead of looking at everyone else, instead of looking at the world and saying, you need to change, you need to do this, you need to make these changes, what if we looked at ourselves and it was just about the conversation we had with ourselves and we still treat ourselves with compassion, not going in my bathroom and looking at that soap dispenser going, how dare I use a disposable soap dispenser? No, I just look at the soap dispenser and I say, there's a change that I can make. I'm going to make that change. And when I invite you into my home and I invite you into my life and you sit here and you, you know, share your experiences with me, you're going to just notice, oh, this is how, oh, this is what Adrian did. Adrian, what made you do this? Remain curious, remain compassionate. These are things that we can do to spread positive energy in the world, to make room for everyone different than us or not. We can learn so much from people who are different. We can learn so much more from someone who doesn't feel the way we do, act the way we do, dress the way we do, talk the way we do. We can learn so much more from our diversity from each other than we can from saying, I'm going to band together with my group of people because we all believe the same thing and y'all are exiled. So at Morotsko Forge, we invite you into our tribe. At Morotsko Forge, we ask you, why do you do this? What if you did that? And Morotsko Forge, we start with compassion and understanding, and we ask questions. We remain curious. Claire, I want to thank you for spending this time with me today and sharing this journey and this conversation. Will you tell us where we can find you online? The best way to reach me online is mostly through my personal Instagram right now which is Claire E. Spencer, all one word, and that's C-L-A-I-R-E-E-S-P-E-N-C-E-R, or on Instagram in my water company account, at I am water with three R's, like reduce, reuse, recycle, I-A-M-W-A-T-R-R-R. Thank you, Claire. Thank you so much. And thank you so much for being a guest today. I want to remind you guys that our book of the week is The Righteous Mind by Jonathan Haidt. I'd love to bring in The Coddling of the American Mind by Jonathan Haidt. That's another book of his that's completely changed my life and my views on our educational system. Um, Our challenge this week, go through your Facebook, look at five posts, check the sources. Where do you end up? Share your results with me at I take it in stride at gmail.com. Claire just thought of another great point. Yeah, in those challenges, I encourage you to notice how you're feeling and if it's one of those feelings. Is this fear? 
is this righteousness, is this anger? Because those are going to be the most eye-opening. And if you question what that is and what that looks like, I encourage you, read the book, The Righteous Mind. It's going to change how you feel about the fight that you're fighting. And we don't have to fight. Let's all lay down the swords. Let's lay down the fisticuffs. Let's find a way for compassion and peace and calm and love. Um, But fact check. Fact check those posts. Let me know what you find. And as I said, you can email me your results to those five fact Facebook fact checked posts at I take it in stride at gmail.com. You can find me on Instagram at Adrian underscore Jezik. You can find me on Instagram, our company at Marotsko Forge. You can find me on Facebook at Adrian Jezik. And you can find us online at www.marotskoforge.com. And remember, when you can master the breath through the cold, you can master your mind through your life. Stay cold, cold friends.